Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los Angeles. Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We Ooh. hope you stay a while. <laughs> cute. That's cute. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I mean, does she need any introduction? Icon. Literally, I'm staring at her going, wait a minute. I feel like I've known her my whole life, but she has never met us, Sarah, so... A little awkward. I feel like <laughs> she must get this a lot. Yes, yes. Elizabeth Hurley, thank you so much for being on Los Angeles. We're so excited to talk to you and talk about the work you're doing with Estee Lauder Companies, as well as bringing light to breast cancer awareness and what we can be doing now. You know, I feel like our whole lives as young women, we've we've heard of breast cancer. Sarah, I actually don't know this about you. But breast cancer has, you know, touched my life and my family. I think you have some aunts that have been through breast cancer. Yes, totally. I've had some aunts, friends, you know, like I think that everyone is affected by it, like you said. And I think like every single person knows at least one person, unfortunately. So this is this is something that we absolutely need to talk about. So, Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure to talk to you both today. And to hear what you're saying about breast cancer. And it's very interesting, in fact, that you both say that you've always been aware of breast cancer and the pink ribbon in your lives. And you're both a generation younger than me because when I was your age, we actually didn't talk about breast cancer. Funnily enough, before this sort of campaign, which is you know the campaign I work for is the S. Lauder Company's breast cancer campaign that was started more than 30 years ago. And that was started because no one did talk about breast cancer. And back then there wasn't a pink ribbon and there wasn't breast cancer awareness month. And you probably wouldn't have said that your aunts had had breast cancer. My grandmother died of breast cancer. And the last thing she would have wanted was for us to talk about it because at that time, you know, it was considered embarrassing and scary and Everybody thought it was an automatic death sentence and it just wasn't talked about. So the last 30 years, 28 of which I've been working on the campaign, have been trying to take the fear out of it, the stigma out of it. And to hear ladies like you say that you've always had an awareness of breast cancer is music to my ears. It really is. That's what makes the campaign worthwhile after all those years. We definitely want to speak about your grandmother and talk about her experience and like doing research for this episode. Like you said, she didn't want to speak about it. And that's kind of what encouraged you to be a part of this campaign. But we do kick off every episode. It is a beauty podcast with a question called What's on Your Face? A lot of people look to you as a beauty icon and they want to know what you're using, your face, your hair, your skin. Do you have any favorites right now? I 100% have some favorites, but the interesting thing is about talking to you today is that I live in the country and in London. And when I got to the country on Saturday, I was about to get ready for a big black tie event I had on Saturday night, and I knew I was talking to you. I forgot my makeup bag. I left it in London. 
<laughs> so everything on my face at this moment is all stuff that I found lying around my house. And luckily I had enough of it. But so I've sort of pieced together my face. Some of my makeup was probably from the 90s that I've got literally on my face today, which just goes to show that it lasts. <laughs> but on a normal day, I can do a really quick makeup, but I kind of do a full makeup every day. So in the morning, I use Advanced Night Repair, which has been a serum that I've personally used since 1994. And for me, it's the best serum of all. I put that on really quickly and then I put a moisturizer. And right now I'm using a Lambert light moisturizer, not the big thick one, but there's a the little light pump one. So I use that. And then I could use a variety of foundations and I always put a little bit on. And today <laughs> I used a very old one. I use a MAC one that's probably been at least five or 10 years and it's perfect still. It's one of the ones that you put on with a slightly damp sponge. I put that on, I put a little bit of Bobbi Brown blush on, then I put a little bit of that and I use a cream one for that. And then I put a powder blush on top. I use a little bit of smudgy brown eye pencil, some mascara, a lip pencil and lip gloss. And that's it. And it takes me about four minutes. Wow. This face in four minutes. Wow. Wow. So what you're saying, Elizabeth Hurley, is that your makeup routine hasn't changed that much since the 90s. There's still some tried and trues that you, you know, reach for. And then colors have, you know, remained sort of in the same family. Well, I think as your skin changes when you mature, your skin gets a little drier. So I'm more likely now to use product like cream products. So I normally put a cream blush on and then I put a little bit of powder blush on top. And the foundation I use probably has a little more moisture in than it may well have done way back then. But it's really interesting that I think because I was really lucky when I started working for the Estee Lauder companies 28 years ago, of course, I worked with the best makeup artists in the world. So they kind of showed me how to do my makeup and your face sort of ish stays the same. You know, I mean, yes, you might like a bright lip some years, you might like a matte look or a dewy look. And that obviously changes a little bit, but your face is your face. And whatever you're working with, you're working with. We're not suddenly going to have a different shaped jaw or different shaped cheekbones or different eyes. They're all going to be the same. So I think what I learned back then, I still use, and then you just finesse it, you know? And I generally think that some products get better and better and better and some are unbeatable. So the Advanced Night Repair Serum, which was the very first thing I was ever given when I started working for the company, for me is still the best serum out on the market. And I've tried lots. Are you a big sunscreen person? I'm sure you are. I am. And I always have been, but now I hardly go in the sun at all. But yes, when I do go in the sun, I always put a really heavy one on my face, at least a 30 SPF. If I'm in a hot country, probably a 50. And I still don't go in the sun. And I always put it on the backs of my hands to try and avoid getting too many sun damage bits on the back of my hands and on my chest. But I don't really go in the sun much anymore. I found that I used to love it. And now I can do maybe 30 seconds. <laughs> And then I'm hot and I'm bored and I go back inside again. So it's kind of amazing. That's me in a bath. I get I get hot and bored. I got to get out. <laughs> get me out of the bathtub. I try to relax. Guess that's not for me. I wanted to ask Elizabeth about your hair. You have gorgeous hair. Do you have any favorite products or do you have any favorite tools? Like I'm looking at this beautiful curl you have going. Do you have a tried and true? Well, Thank you for saying that about my hair, because I can do my face in five minutes, but my hair takes a bit longer. My hair's actually quite, it's quite a lot of it, but it's, it's very fine and it has no movement at all. And the minute it's damp outside, it goes completely straight, but not in a good way. Yeah. It just looks a bit like a schoolgirl who hasn't yet learned how to 
blow out of her hair if you know what I mean. So yeah, I just use a I use a curling iron and do a quick flick through, and I use a really nice. It's Bumble and Bumble thickening spray, a volumizer, which I need quite a lot of because my hair's so fine. And I use a really heavy moisturizing shampoo. I think they're all Bumble and Bumble at the moment. But I go I go through an awful lot of them. I'll try anything just to try and give me some volume. I can smell the Bumble and Bumble thickening spray because I use that too, or I have in the past. It's so good. It's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. I'm curious, though, throughout your career, did you ever dabble in hair extensions? Yes. Yes, I did. I had them for quite a while and I vowed never to have them ever again. I mean, once you start having bonds, it's so hard to stop. It's so hard to stop. But I had a terrible habit. The awful truth is, and it's a bad confession, is that I never had to have mine removed because I picked every single one out. I used to sit here doing this and then I put my fingernail through it and I pull every single one out like a nervous habit like a bird pecking itself. It was really bad. You have a strong head. And then I ended up with nearly no hair left. And it took about two years to get all my hair back. And now it's back. For a while, it wasn't good. So personally, bonds aren't for me because I don't have the discipline not to play with them. Totally. Well, it looks great. It grew, grew all back. Looks lovely. Okay, let's talk again about your beautiful grandmother. Tell us more about her. What was she like? And then, you know, how did she ultimately discover that she did have breast cancer? Well, she was a wonderful lady. She was a school teacher and she was a big part of our lives. And we all noticed that she'd gone very quiet and she seemed very sad and she wouldn't tell anybody what was the matter. And it turned out that she had found a lump in her breast and hadn't wanted to tell anyone because she didn't want to make a fuss and she hoped it would go away. And this was back in the early 90s. And at that time, you know, nobody talked about breast cancer and there was very little information about it. And the awful thing is that my grandmother went through everything completely alone because she didn't want to talk about it. And so we weren't involved. So to this day, I don't know what type of breast cancer she had and she probably didn't know. And it's interesting to know that now, you know, with all the research that's got on from the Breast Cancer Research Foundation, we know that there's so many types of breast cancer. Then we just thought it was breast cancer. And at that time, there weren't targeted treatments for different types of breast cancer. And we just knew so much little about it. So she didn't share with us whatever she was told. And I imagine she probably wasn't told very much. She had a mastectomy and ultimately she died because she didn't go to the doctor soon enough. So part of our messaging right from day one has always been that early detection saves lives. And, you know, we know that if a breast cancer is found early and it hasn't spread, there's a 90% chance of a survival. So in that way, our messaging would have been the best messaging that my grandmother could possibly have heard, which would be to have run to her doctor and talk about it, not just hope it would go away. Unfortunately, cancer doesn't really go away by itself and it gets a lot worse. So the big, big lesson from that for everybody is, is be breast aware you know, be aware of what's going on in your own body, familiarize yourself, know your family history, what cancers and diseases there may run in your history, and talk to a doctor, talk to somebody in medicine when you're worried. I wish she had. And at that point, you know, you kind of touched on this, but what were the options for her when she finally did go to the doctor? Was it just get a mastectomy? I mean, I feel like we do have several options, as you mentioned, because of the different types of breast cancer now. But at that point, what did she have available to her? Do you know? 
Well, again, I don't exactly know because she didn't involve us in anything. If indeed she was even involved at that time or was sort of told what was happening and probably was very, very frightened, not talking it over with, you know, her children or her grandchildren or whatever surviving sibling she had at that stage. So from my understanding is that in the past, a lot of cancers would have been treated with the same sort of chemotherapy, some of which may not have actually been effective on that particular type of breast cancer. That will happen much, much, much less now. And also interestingly, when I've had the good fortune to talk to a lot of the research scientists, and they've said to us that back then, the sort of tumours that would end up with them, on which they would do their research, were normally a much further stage of cancer. Whereas today, cancers are caught so much earlier now on the whole that it's fairly rare when a much more progressed cancer is presented because women have learned to self-check, they have learned to get screened regularly, and they have learned to go to their doctor if they're worried. Therefore, by definition, they're caught earlier. But I do have to say also that mortality rates have fallen by more than 40% since the late 80s, probably because treatments are better, diagnosis is better, and cancers are being caught earlier. So there is really good progress. But we do hear in the news only too often that somebody else has died of breast cancer and still one in eight of us will develop breast cancer in our lifetime. So even though there has been huge progress, women are still dying and that's why we're still here. And, you know, we've raised $119 million for breast cancer, $93 million of which has gone straight into research. And that's really, women will stop dying of breast cancer one day when more research scientists can continue to get better results. So that's why we keep trying to raise as much money as we can. I think so much about early detection and how women in general, we often talk ourselves out of things. So like even if something is kind of a red flag or something is kind of alarming, if one of us found a lump in our breast, now I think I would obviously be like, okay, I got to plan a doctor's appointment and go advocate for myself and say, I'm, I'm concerned. Like what, you know, what is this? But Maybe back then they were like, well, is it really that big of a deal? I don't want to cause a problem. Like I think about how women especially think of of, of us of like being like a burden in a way to, to even like medical professionals whose job it is to help. You know what I mean? And it's also like we're all so busy. And so people are like, I just don't have the time to go to the doctor to make the appointment. To your point, Kirby, I'm like, am I really self-checking myself correctly? Right. But I do think like Elizabeth has said, the narrative has changed a lot with like social media and, you know, more women speaking out. Like, I think the education is more available, which like we're so grateful for, because I think that like my nieces probably are well aware that breast cancer exists. Right. And is something that they need to be concerned with when they're older. But yeah, it's still something that we still need to talk about, which is why we have you on. And I think also, I feel that I have, because I've been lucky enough to learn so much about this disease, that I feel a responsibility to talk to all my girlfriends and female family members and say to them, have you been screened? You know, the advice has now come out that from the age of 40, women should start to get screened. And I was actually given my first mammogram by Evelyn Lauder, who um, founded the Breast Cancer Research Foundation and our breast cancer campaign. She gave me one for my 40th birthday and made me promise to have regular screenings. And I feel sometimes, you know, that could even be a gift 
girlfriends give to girlfriends or give to family members. And maybe the thing is, none of us want bad news. It's something we all understand how we'd rather not know something that's bad. But because we all want to be around for as long as we can, even if it's only to look after everybody else, we know that we have to look after ourselves or we can't be here. So it is one of those things you just have to grit your teeth and do certain things, regular screenings, regular self-checking, learn about family history, some of which we might not want to know because we don't want to hear it sometimes, but we know that that's one of those things you just have to take responsibility for, I think. And it's part of being, have to start doing those sort of things, but no one's alone when they don't want to hear bad news or possible bad news. We're all the same. But I think with solidarity, and I think if you all agree together that you're all going to, you know, agree to check your breasts. Some people have put up, there's an app on your phone as well, actually, that can remind you to do stuff checking, that can ping you once a month and say, in the shower tonight, self-check. And it's actually, the self-checking thing is quite interesting because, of course, nothing replaces going to the doctor when you're worried about something. But um, during lockdown, you know, a lot of women couldn't go to the doctor. It was really tricky. And so... As part of our social messaging on Instagram, I did a post telling women to self-check and we could point them to a very nice English doctor, as it happens, who was doing a massive self-check where everybody could come in on Zoom and check for themselves. So I talked about that. And two girlfriends that I knew checked their own breasts. They were both young, both under 40. They both checked their own breasts in the shower and two of them found lumps, which they would never have found had they not seen that Instagram post, which is so terrifying. They're both fine because they both found them really early. But it could have been a different story if they hadn't checked. You mentioned Evelyn Lauder. And when we were talking with the team about having you on, I was like, I would love for her to share a little bit more about Evelyn because, Sarah, if you can believe this, there might be listeners out there that don't realize that Estee Lauder was an actual person <laughs> and <laughs> that that's who the company is named after. Evelyn was the daughter-in-law, correct? Yes. Evelyn married Leonard Lauder. Yes. The oldest son of Estee Lauder, who was indeed a real person. A human being. <laughs> she was a human being and she built the whole Estee Lauder companies from absolute nothing. She started making the creams herself. And in fact, Leonard Lauder made a beautiful autobiography last year where he talks all about his mother always cooking up these creams on her stove and how Leonard used to deliver it to customers right at the very beginning. It's an absolutely fascinating book. And yes, Evelyn was his wife and Evelyn started this. And just after she'd started it, about a couple of years is when I started working for the Estee Lauder companies. And Evelyn came to me one day and told me all about what she was doing and said, would I help her in a campaign to help women? because she said they're dying all over the world and nobody knows, nobody's talking about it. And I want people to talk about breast cancer. So that's when they invented the pink ribbon. October came along as Breast Cancer Awareness Month and then gradually over those intervening 30 years, you know, we are where we are today. But if it hadn't been for Evelyn, I truly believe we'd be in a very, very different state of mind about breast cancer today. How did you meet Evelyn? I was employed by it was then just the Esther Lauder, the brand Esther Lauder, in 1995 to be their model. And at that time, they only had one who did everything. And so I was offered that job pretty much out of the blue because I'd never done any modeling before. I was an actress. And evidently, Leonard Lauder 
was speaking to a magazine editor in England and just happened to say, who's been your biggest selling cover this year? And this very nice, thank goodness she did, editor said it was me because I had had a movie out or something. And he said, I don't know who that is. And she sent him my cover, which was a magazine called Tatler Magazine. And they went, well, we like the look of her. And they flew me to New York for a test, which was with the legendary photographer, Albert Watson. And I met Evelyn and Leonard and their niece, Erin, who of course has her own brand, which is exquisite. And uh, and they offered me the job. And 28 years later, I'm still there, <laughs> still there. And Evelyn asked me straight away on about my first or second photo session when we were shooting ads for something. She came into the session and she said, you know, I've started something. I want it to be revolutionary and will you help? And that's how it started. I mean, what a flex. Biggest selling magazine cover. <laughs> They're like, Elizabeth Hurley, no big deal. Love it. <laughs> so you've mentioned you've worked with them for 28 years on this. Obviously, breast cancer awareness is something that you're very passionate about. How has it continued to affect your life today? Obviously, you're mentioning that you have girlfriends who you're encouraging to self-check. As we all get older, you know, the likelihood that we will get diagnosed with it increases. So I'm sure like, you know, Kirby and I talk about it all the time. We're in our, do we say late 30s? Mid to late 30s, I'll say that. And so, you know, we, <laughs> we you know, are starting to, again, be more aware of these things. And so, it just affects us more as we get older, obviously. But for you personally, how is it affecting you? Do you find yourself, you know, getting screened more often? Are you talking to more of your friends about it? Since I was 40, I've always been regularly screened. And I've self-checked for 10 years prior to that. I probably only learned about self-checking when I was about 29 or 30. Whereas now I think girls are encouraged to, from puberty, to familiarize themselves with their bodies. So that's what I also tell everybody who's got daughters as well. Familiarize yourself. Let them just be familiar with their bodies so that you're you're more likely to know if something feels wrong. But I think also that, unfortunately, because I've met so many women who've been diagnosed with breast cancer, and I've met so many family members who've had uh, uh, mothers or grandmothers or daughters or sisters diagnosed, Certain things seem to strike me more now. And I am hearing about more younger women who are being diagnosed. We heard about that a bit less often before. And it is on the increase for younger women. It is being detected earlier now. And, you know, that is a cause for concern, which is why I think it is very important for younger women not to think it's a a disease for older women. I needn't worry about it now. It is more prevalent, of course, in older women, but it is there in younger women too. And unfortunately, sometimes what we've also learned is that if younger women are struck with breast cancer, they can be diagnosed with one of the more specific breast cancers, which as it happens, are a little harder to treat, Um, which is why it's really important, I believe, for all women to be breast aware, whatever their age is trying to spread that word as much as I can now. This kind of goes perfectly into our next question, which is, you know, this is a diverse cancer. Are you able to share some facts about breast cancer and how it affects a variety of people? Well, basically, breast cancer doesn't discriminate. It can affect anyone. It even affects men. I mean, there's way fewer men than women that get diagnosed. But I've met 
many men who've had breast cancer because they come to see us sometimes when we do, you know, appearances or something about breast cancer. So we know it affects men. And we know that there are certain types of breast cancer that can disproportionately affect certain women. For example, there's a breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer, which disproportionately affects black women. We know that. And it can also disproportionately affect young women. So as it happens, um, last year, the Estee Lauder companies donated a certain $15 million, which over the next 15 years is examining exactly the reason why there is that diversity issue in certain breast cancers. And that's something that everyone feels very passionately about. And that there are also different issues too, that some people don't have access to the same medical services that some people have. I mean, I've visited some less developed countries than the United States and the United Kingdom. And again, it's a very different story when you talk to people there about breast cancer. I've been in countries where you can't say the word breast, which obviously is very difficult to talk about breast cancer. And it's quite interesting that actually in the UK right now, we're working with three fabulous ambassadors who are working beside me. One's from the South Asian community, one's from the black community, and one's young. They've all had breast cancer and they've all started their own groups of support for women who share their issues and their cultural issues. And it's been absolutely fascinating talking to them and learning from them about how they can talk to people in their own communities, which could be different to how I talk to people in my community or you do or anybody does, because there's different things. So this wonderful girl from the South Asian community that is working beside me now, she'll say there are very different issues. So when she was diagnosed, she's told me that she's spoken to women who, whose parents didn't want them to tell anyone, a bit echoing my grandmother back in the 90s. And she was telling me that some girls have been told not to tell anyone because it could ruin their marriage proposals. And you think that's something I didn't know, you know, that I hadn't heard that before. That's something new. And that's something one needs to talk about. And there's a lot of things to learn from different people's cultures, obviously, and different people's communities. And that's why there's this really big grant going to find out exactly why these things are happening. How is Estee Lauder Companies helping to fund breast cancer research? And is there anything that our listeners can do to help contribute, spread the word? How can we help? Well, all your listeners can help raise $75,000, which would go directly to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation by doing a social media call to action with us. All you have to do is make a post that references breast cancer. You could be wearing pink, you could have a pink ribbon on, or you could say something. And if you use the hashtag time to end breast cancer, we'll donate $25 for every post up until $75,000. So everybody could do that. And that would be an amazing thing to do. And, you know, as I said, we've donated $93 million to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation and continue to raise money. We have a lot of products from the Estee companies called the Pink Ribbon Collection, which are sold during October. And much of those sales go to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. So there's a lot of things people can do. And there's lots of other fundraising activities that so many women get involved in to raise funds and nothing's too little. Elizabeth, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you this question. Kirby and I, obviously, we were talking about how you are just like an icon. We grew up watching you in, in our favorite movies, seeing you in you know, our favorite magazines. But it obviously couldn't have been easy 
at times to be, you know, in the spotlight that much, um, as much as you were, especially with what I feel like we're learning now, Kirby, through doc like documentaries like Beckham, how the British tabloids could and tabloids in general could just be so harsh. But we're just curious in your opinion, as someone who, you know, was such such an icon being, you know, just followed and watched so closely. Do you think that it was harder to be famous in the 90s with the tabloids and the paparazzi? Or is it harder to be famous now with all the social media noise and the trolls and people who are just quickly easy to cancel people? I love this question. (laughs) I love this question. Well, that's a very tricky question. (laughs) I'm not sure there's a very easy black and white answer to that. Without doubt, in the 90s and the 2000s, um, some journalism was vicious in a way that I do believe it isn't now. Funnily enough, I've been tidying up at home and we've been going through boxes and boxes of stuff, you know. A great deal of it was press. And when my son and I and my mother and I who were doing this were glancing through things, people were viciously back then in a way that people aren't now. It was very misogynistic and really cruel, mean, mean mean-spirited and much more aimed at women than it was at men. And I don't think people are that cruel and mean now in print or on television. It's just astonishing what people used to get away with. I don't think that happens now, but on the other hand, you're quite right. Everybody's a journalist nowadays. And you know, that's not controlled like like the press can be. So it, it you know it is true, I think, that when people in the public eye are out in public, they are aware that they could be being filmed or could be being recorded by anyone, not just somebody who was a member of the press. And I think that is very tough. But I think, yes, there can be trolls, people who write mean things from their bedrooms at home. <laughs> I know those people exist. I, I hope I don't know anyone. I know they do. But I do think there's a difference between... Most of us will probably dismiss them as being sad cases. But when it was in print, it seemed like it was somehow validated by the fact that it would be in print in a newspaper or magazine that you bought or subscribed to. It seemed to validate it more. So I think it was worse then. And I think people now are more aware. I think even back then, I could come out of my house and there could be 40 men outside my door who wouldn't let me get to my car with video cameras and cameras. And I used to be trying to take my baby to my car and it was a nightmare. But even then, sometimes a passerby would say, leave her alone, especially after Princess Diana died after she was chased by paparazzi. But now I think people would be way more likely to say, stop that. That's not fair. And I don't think it happens en masse like that now. I think people are, they know they have to keep their distance from women. They just can't be so aggressive. I think of someone in your position and how mentally strong you have to be, because even just from your Instagram, the Daily Mail can take something and throw it on their website, you just posing and they can find like one small thing to make a whole headline out of. I don't know how you handle that on a regular basis, but it seems to not bother you at all. You seem happy and and well. 
Well, remember that back then they would have put a photograph round a piece of you with an arrow saying cellulite, saying fat bit, saying bags, saying wrinkle. That was how it was. Now that doesn't happen now. So in fact, if someone picks up my own photograph from Instagram, that's my photograph and it's out there. And if I have cellulite, wrinkle, bag, spot, whatever it is, it's there, but at least they can't put a ring around it now and an arrow pointing it. So maybe everyone thinks that, but at least say it. Okay. And that, that actually is, believe it or not, it's progress. I was going to say, I was like, that's progress. There we are. You are such an inspiration to us all, truly. And the way that you've just like you again, you're like so graceful, so elegant. We're just so grateful that you came on to the podcast and and shared um, just, you know, your story and how we can all help and raise more awareness. Well, it's a beautiful podcast you have, ladies, and I was really honored to be on it. So thank you very much for letting me come and talk about beauty and breast cancer. It's really kind of you to have me. Thank you. All right, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts, I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.